right, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 18. Acts 18. I'm continuing a message that I started last week, and uh, as we got back to the book of Acts, certainly not the first message we preach in in Acts. Uh, We've been there for quite a while, taking stops along the way, Uh, but uh, Acts chapter 18, and starting in verse 18, and we'll be looking at verse 18 through verse 23. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. Acts 18, 18. So Paul remained a good while, and where he remained was Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And then he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer, a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea and had gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening the disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we uh, see the same need in our lives as we see in Paul's. Lord, we need time of reflecting, renewing, and refreshing. And Lord, I pray that we would not neglect these things, but as your Spirit uh, moves in our hearts and causes us to will and to do of your, your good pleasure, that we would respond with humility and obedience so that you might be glorified in our lives we might show forth the beauty of Christ as lights in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like hearing the story behind the story. Uh, Sometimes, whether it's uh, uh, an excellent football game or basketball game that was kind of a a game to be remembered, and they sometimes will do interviews and kind of go... And you can hear what was going through players' minds as they made the big play. And it was uh, not just the what happens, but the whys that happened. And uh, I'm that way. Sometimes I hear uh, like a 10-second news story, uh, just a blurb on the news, and it tells some story. And I'm thinking, what? 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 What's the details? That is so interesting. I want to know what happened. And so I, I'm just that kind of person. I need to know the whys behind the whats. And uh, in a few short verses, we see recorded a journey of over 1,500 miles by Paul. And uh, it doesn't give us a whole lot of the whys there, uh, but it tells us the what happened. But we've been digging in and showing from the context what was happening in Paul's life. And so we get to see some of the whys, and we're learning from these whys, just a brief reminder of some of the things that have happened in these few verses. Paul just finished up his second missionary journey. He was heading back for some rest and recuperation. He's going to sail over to Ephesus. On his way back, there's a port, or travel to Ephesus. There's a port there. Start sailing back to the uh, east in order to 
first of all go to Jerusalem and then go on to Antioch, which is actually north of Jerusalem. It says he went down. He's not talking north and south. It's because Jerusalem is up on a hill, and so pretty much everything is downhill from there, so they say down. But he actually was heading north to Antioch, and that was kind of uh, some very important places for him. Jerusalem was his original sending church, and then Antioch was the basis of his operation, his mission journeys, in order to reach Asia and Europe. And so these are two very important places. The apostles are there in Jerusalem, so he would get encouragement from them. And then Antioch, he had many friends. Uh, it, was a more, it was one of the first established churches in that area. So he could go back and get some encouragement and some rest and recuperation in preparation for his third missionary journey. Now, it says he cut his hair off. Well, remember we talked about the Nazarite vow, and it was to show two things. It shows appreciation. It's a way of thanking God, but it also shows devotion. Uh, it was a way of saying, hey, this is a picture of my total devotion to you. They would shave off their hair. He would keep a portion of that hair. He would travel to Jerusalem, offer it in the temple, and then there he would have his head shaved again, uh, and that would complete his 30-day Nazarite vow. But it was really to show appreciation and devotion. And so one of the reasons he had to go to Jerusalem, although we'll see there are several more, is that he wanted to offer this offering of his shaved hair as part of the uh, sacrifice, or along with the sacrifice that he would make in Jerusalem, also to keep an upcoming feast. Uh, on his way back to Jerusalem, he stopped in Ephesus for a short time, and as Paul likes to do, he likes to preach the gospel, amen? Uh, no one has to tell Paul, hey, you, you ought to share the gospel more. It was in his heart. Listen, the gospel isn't just what Paul did it was who he was. And that should be true for us too, right? The gospel should be who we are. And so he stopped in, he preached uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which was a normal meeting time for the Jews. And they said, hey, we want you to stay and tell us more. But Paul says, listen, God's calling me back and I've got to follow him. So I will be back, Lord willing. If he allows me to come back, I will. And guess what? We'll find out that he did go back as we continue in our study of the book of Acts. And so he went to Jerusalem, he greeted the church, stayed there just for a short time, made the sacrifice, kept the feast, and then went on to Antioch where he spent a longer period to rest and recuperate and get some encouragement and get ready for that third missionary journey. And so what we've learned through this passage is that taking time to reflect, renew, and refresh will lead to greater fruitfulness, and joy in ministry. And Paul recognized this. You might say, Paul, how could you pass up an opportunity? They were literally begging you to stay. I mean, it'd be like me preaching, and I say, well, I'm going to go ahead and close. You're like, no, preacher, keep preaching, please. It's only noon. I've never had that happen, amazingly. But if it did happen, me say, oh, no, I, just poss I can't possibly continue. Oh, please stay and keep on preaching. But uh, Paul realized that there were some needs in his life and that God was sovereign, and that he needed that time of rest and refreshment as much as he needed to preach the gospel. And so he did that, and God did bring him back to Ephesus, and he did preach the gospel. But he was wise enough to understand in the sovereignty of God, we all need that time of refreshment and that time of rest. And so we looked at the very first point, which is this, that we should reflect on God's goodness. Now, remember what I said about the Nazarite vow? One of the important things that it accomplished was that it was a, it was a, it was a, um, 
is to commemorate thanksgiving, or it was, a, it was an act of thanksgiving in his life. And so we looked at the issue of thanksgiving and looked at why it's so important in ministry. When we're serving other people, we need to stop and be thankful. And we noticed that it keeps us humble, it encourages us, it keeps us from becoming bitter in ministry, and it really leads to peace and prayer, because he says, be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We can't leave that out. We should make our requests be made known unto God. And so we start by reflecting on God's goodness. You want to have a refreshed heart, you want to have an empowered heart, you got to stop and be thankful. If you don't take that time, if you just press and go, and whether any part of life, just go and go and go and never take time to stop, rest your heart and just meditate on God's goodness to you, you're going to wear out really, really fast. And so he knew that was part of a fruitful ministry. But now, this morning, I'd like to look at renewing your vision, renewing your vision. And the fact is, is that Paul had been on a missionary journey. God had accomplished much, but it was time for him to go back, get some rest, get some encouragement, and kind of renew his vision, kind of remind himself why he preaches the gospel. And sometimes when you just press on and press on and never take a break to stop and let God work in our hearts in order to give us a vision for what comes next, we just get stuck in a rut. And oftentimes what I find in my life is the precursor to really expanding ministry and expanding my own heart and understanding and, and ministry and, and being able to, to have uh, the more fruit and to minister to people better. That often, the precursor to that is stopping and just taking time to renew my vision. Why am I here? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? And you see Paul doing that. He went back to the Jerusalem, the apostles, he renewed that vision, and then he's able to come back in that third missionary journey, and God did so much through that. We need to take time to do that. Sometimes we get so busy in the middle of life, we don't stop and say, okay, what does God really want me to do? It's like, Pastor, you don't understand, man. It's, it's the job. You come home. There's family. There's chores. There's things to be done. The car needs to be fixed. And we just press on and press on, and we keep on telling ourselves, someday I'll stop, and I'll actually think through what does God want me to do here. Let me tell you, at some point, you either reach the breaking point and you begin to fail, or God will stop you so that you can stop and do that. I am convinced that to some degree, my whole journey with cancer was God stopping me and saying, you need to stop and renew your vision. Now, I would rather have not done that this, you know, in a hospital bed, but I was thankful that God gave me a time to stop and say, stop what you're doing, listen to me, and renew your vision. And I'm telling you what, there needs to be times when moms and dads sit down and say, listen, we need to stop down, stop and start thinking through why do we do what we do and how are we going to do it? We're trying to raise children for Jesus Christ. How can we best do that? Dads, you need to stop and say, hey, I'm looking at my job. I'm looking at my ministry. I'm looking at my family. God, renew my vision for what you called me to do. And if we don't stop and do that, we get in this terrible rut. And really, we see very little progress in our life. We need that time. Uh, and when, Let me give you a couple things to think about in renewing your vision. Renew your desire to know and follow Christ. I'm telling you what, the church at Ephesus had to be told, you have left your first love. They didn't recognize it. 
they had kind of gotten into this mode, and they thought, we're doing pretty good, and some good things were happening in the church at Ephesus, but someone, the Spirit of God had to say, you've left your first love. You're not where I want you to be in your heart. And you know what? There's t- those moments in my life and in your life where we stop and we think, man, my love is cold. I used to love prayer, and now I'm just dragging through it. I used to read my Bible consistently, and now I'm just not reading my Bible. I used to get excited about ministry, now I'm just dragging along. Just can't wait till the church service is over, and can't wait till this is done, and hope that the preacher don't ask me to help with anything else. Listen, once you get to that point, it's because you need a renewed vision. And you need to get back to saying, what is the greatest thing in my life? What is the most important thing in my life? That's Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, we, Christ doesn't leave us, we leave him. And we leave our first love, the love we had at the beginning for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Nazarite vow, in part, was a symbol of total, total dedication, total devotion to God. He realized, hey, listen, even the preacher can get off track. He can get so busy in ministry that he can forget that the reason he does it is because he loves Jesus above all things. And I tell you what, you can get so busy in life, we don't stop and remember that love we had at the beginning for Jesus, that it's gotten cold, that we're just doing the same things over and over. We're not really growing the way we should. You know, this dedication deals with two aspects, purpose and parts. And when you think about your, uh, about uh, God's uh, devotion to God, think of it in, ter- in these terms, purpose and parts. Uh, first of all, we have to stop and think, what is my purpose in life? Too many times we kind of just drift along. Really, we are just reacting to life instead of being proactive in life. Things are happening to us and we're just trying to respond, keep our head above water, uh, trying to survive instead of thrive. But we have to stop and say, hey, there's two aspects to this. Number one is I have to know my purpose in life. What has God called me to really do? And then number two is the parts. Are every part of my life falling in line with that purpose? I mean, if my purpose is to glorify God by being a disciple, I mean, here at Faith Baptist Church, we say our, our mission is to be disciples who make disciples for God's glory and eternal joy. Our joy and others' joy is we expand the gospel. The disciple is a learner and follower of Jesus Christ, and we do that so that we can expand God's joy in Jesus and for God to be glorified. And as we look at that purpose and say, how is every part of our ministry falling to that purpose, then we have uh, a much more clear pathway about things that we say we will, we will do and things that we say, listen, we can't do. That doesn't fit our purpose. Do you know the same thing is true in life? You need to find out as a, as a man, as a woman, as a family, what does God call us to do and how do we do that? How can we bring everything in our lives into line with that? And you know what will happen is you're going to start saying yes to some things and you're going to start saying no to some things. And the reason why we live inconsistent Christian lives is because we're, we're kind of just floating along, and sometimes we kind of, the waves push us this way, so we're like, okay, I guess I'm going to kind of do this, and then we kind of get pushed this way, I guess I'll kind of do this, 
And there's no consistency, no stability. Why? Because we haven't determined what is the thing that matters above all things. And how can I bring every part of my life into line with that purpose? We see in the Nazarite vow, it was a reminder of the total dedication, every part. There's nothing outside of that. I talked about reactive and proactive. You know, I, what I see is this. People really have three approaches to life, basically. They are proactive, a proactive life, a reactive life, or a wasted life. You see, a proactive life is committed to understanding and living out God's purpose for my life in every part of it. Whereas a reactive life just responds to what is happening at any given moment. It may even want to do the right thing and mostly avoid the wrong thing. But the problem is it's not really aiming toward anything. It's kind of like the old saying, aim at nothing and you'll hit it every time. So you just kind of respond to what's happening and it's inconsistent and you can't build godly habits because you're just kind of floating around, not anchored to any one truth. And then you have the wasted life. This person is just determined, oh, I have a purpose and it's my purpose. And so every part of my life is going to fall in line with the purpose I have for my life, whether it's making money or it's getting that next promotion or whether it's just having a good life of some sort. But God calls us to a proactive life where we have a purpose, and all those parts fall in line with that purpose. You know, sometimes when we talk about a life's calling or a life's purpose, we say, oh, that's their calling in life. Isn't that interesting? You know, this is, this is their calling. As a matter of fact, Paul mentions this. Uh, in several places. Romans chapter 1, he says, hey, I was called to be an apostle. He says something, he says it again in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. God chose this for me. This is what he wants for my life. Ephesians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So Paul had a very clear picture of what God wanted him to do, his calling. And sometimes we stop and we say, well, you know, I don't think I have a clear calling. I, I don't know. Am I called to be in the job that I'm at? Am I called to do something else? But here's something very, very interesting. Do you know that the root word for that word calling that Paul uses of his being an apostle is the same root word that's used for the calling referring to the internal call of God through the Spirit to himself. In other words, the call to salvation. The Bible says that we are the called according to his purpose. He's not talking about a vocation, a job, or a ministry. He's talking about, I called you to myself so that you'll be my child and I would be glorified in you. And he uses the same root word. And you say, well, what does that matter? What are you trying to get at? Well, it's just this, that at least in the mind of God, his calling for you to be a Christian is connected to his calling for you in job and ministry. The idea is very similar. And you say, well, what am I supposed to gain from that? It's just this, that if you get the first calling, God's call in your life to come to him and follow him, if you get that settled and you start working toward understanding and living that out, I think the calling for vocation and all those other things kind of work itself out. The fact is, is 
So many times Christians are not committed to saying, I have a calling on my life, and it's this, I will follow Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give my heart and mind to doing that, and all the parts of my life are going to fall in line with that. I'm telling you what, you do that, and then you watch God start clarifying all the other parts of your life. Because everything else is an outflow of your, your first calling, which is to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden things just become more and more clear. Are you, are you saying God's going to call me in the ministry? Well, all of us are in ministry because we're all Christians. We're all called to Jesus Christ. And yes, that may come with a specific ministry in the local church, but there's so much more than that. You start realizing that, hey, my job is a ministry, and uh, my home is a ministry, and being a member of my community is a ministry, and my friendship or ministry. This is all part of the outflow of God's calling to follow Jesus. And so we have to get that settled in our hearts. So we have to start by renewing a desire to know and follow Christ. But secondly, we have to renew a commitment to Christ control every part of our life. You know, it's interesting. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he deals with the issue of head coverings. Now, for a lot of people, it says this is a very hard passage to understand. Are women supposed to wear hats in church, or what's going on here? Well, I'm not going to explain it all this morning because it would take a little bit of time. But what we do see in 1 Corinthians 11 is that there's a connection between a head covering, which he goes on and talks about hair, and the issue of authority, the recognition of authority in our life. Now, here's something very important. Paul, by shaving off his hair and presenting that, is saying, God, you have complete and total authority over my life. That's a pretty significant thing. You say, well, I'm not planning on taking any, any Nazarite vow. I mean, people like Richard, it, I mean, he's practically there. There's not much to, you know, a little on the side and that's all. You say, that's easy for you. I got a nice big full head of hair like Jacob, right? I, I, there's no, that's, that's extreme. But listen, God's not calling you to shave off your hair. But what he is calling you is to recognize his authority over every part of your life. And that's something that every Christian should do. Now, here's the problem. I sometimes fool myself into thinking I'm completely yielded because I'm yielded in some things. When I, the Holy Spirit says, Jeremy, are you yielded? I'll say, well, Lord, I'm yielded in this area, and I'm yielded in this area, and I'm yielded in this area, and so I think I'm pretty yielded. And he goes, yeah, what about this area? Oh, I was really afraid you were going to talk about that. <laughs> Why do you have to bring up that area? And sometimes we fool ourselves and say, yeah, I think I'm a pretty devoted Christian. I think, I think I've dedicated all the parts of my life. And then God says, what about your finances? Oh. What about your worry? Oh, did you, have to, did you have to bring up that? What about your anger issues? Oh, Lord, you had to pick the one thing. Listen, you know what God wants most? Is the area that you're the most resistant to give him. That's what he wants. Because he may have those other areas. And, and by the way, that's wonderful. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for the growth you've given us in those areas of our lives. 
But what God wants is that area that you struggle with giving him. And yet, and yet his authority is over our life. But I think I see another renewal here. A renewal of commitment to our community. What do I mean? Um, so when he went to Jerusalem, it was pretty significant. When he shaved off his head and did the Nazarite vow. Because remember, earlier when he was in Corinth, he, the Jews uh, opposed him bitterly. And so he says, from now on, I go to the Gentiles. Now, he didn't mean from, for all time, because we see him immediately going to the synagogue in Ephesus. But he was saying, while in Corinth, he says, hey, I'm going to turn my attention to the Gentiles because the Jews have so bitterly opposed me. Now, some people could have used that to say, oh, to the Jews he was preaching to, oh, don't listen to Paul. He didn't even care about you. I mean, he done said, he didn't care about you. He's going to the Gentiles. And so Paul was showing his commitment to his own countrymen by saying, hey, I'm going to take a Nazarite vow, deeply Jewish. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, keep the feast, and offer the Nazarite sacrifice, deeply Jewish. Then I'm going to go up to Jerusalem and greet the apostles, deeply Jewish. You see, all these things show his commitment to that. You say, well, what are we to learn from that? I am so grateful that we're looking at expanding our missions program. We're, we're going to take on some new missions partner. We're going to increase our giving to our missionaries. That is awesome. But you know what? What we can't do is stop caring about Higginsville. And what I see sometimes is churches will get really excited about foreign missions, and they'll say, man, it's so great. We've got missionaries in Brazil and, and South Africa. Uh, we've got them over in Germany, and we've got them here and there. And say, okay, well, what, what, what are you guys doing to reach your neighbors? Well, we've got missionaries in Germany. Listen, we have to renew our commitment to the people in our own community, our countrymen, so to speak, people in Higginsville, Lafayette County. And we see this in the life of Paul. He says, I want you to know I am still for you. I'm not against you. I still want the gospel to bring, uh, to, to, um, bring you into the kingdom. You know, he had some bad experiences with the, the, his countrymen, his fellow Jews. He had some pretty bad experiences, but you know what? He never lost his love for them. And I love that about Paul. He never says, listen, I'm done with you guys. I've tried. I give up on you totally. He kept on preaching the gospel to his own people. Sometimes we can get pretty disappointed in our efforts, but we just have to keep on being faithful. Just keep on loving people and sharing the gospel. But also we can renew our vision for new opportunities. I mean, immediately he said, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And he was really just passing through Ephesus because there was a port that he was going to use in order to start sailing back to Jerusalem. But he didn't say, okay, I'm officially on vacation. No more ministry for me. I'm putting on my sandals, my shorts, and my Hawaiian shirt, and I'm on vacation. No, he was passing through Ephesus and says, hey, you know, it's the, oh, it's the Sabbath, and they're going to probably be meeting for, uh, in synagogue. Hey, it'd probably be a good idea for me to go down there and start sharing the gospel. And that's what he did. Now, he wasn't able to stay because God wanted him to rest, but he never stopped loving the gospel. It was so, such a part of who he was, he 
wanted to look forward to new opportunities. And here's amazing. Even before he went on vacation, he says, you know what? Lord willing, I'm coming back to here. God is doing some things in Ephesus. I got to go, but I'm coming back. So he was renewing a vision for brand new opportunities. Listen, I think as a church, we need to be constantly thinking, Lord, we want to be looking for new opportunities to share the gospel, new opportunities to reach the people around us. I mean, I'm shocked at how easy it can be for us to forget the mission even while we're doing the mission. While we're having services and, and while we're preaching the gospel and while we're doing these things, we can get so busy with ministry, we forget. There's still more people in Higginsville that haven't heard. And God wants us to reach them. You see, Paul believed that God was going to do greater things. He says, hey, I'm not done. I'm going to rest, but I'm coming back. Third missionary journey, baby. And they, they believed that he had around four total. Depends on how you read the events that took place here. He had up to four missionary journeys, and he was constantly thinking about, God, where can the gospel go next? Where's the next soul that you'll have us reach? Where's the next church that will be planted? He was always thinking about that. Listen, we need to believe that God is still going to do greater things here at Faith Baptist Church. If you believe that your best days are behind you, they are. If you believe all oh, the best things that God did was Back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, then you know what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your best days are behind you if that's what you think. But Paul never said that. He said, man, I've had two amazing journeys, but, you know, that's probably about as good as it's going to get. He's like, oh, no, I'm coming back to Ephesus. God is still working. I believe God's going to do more. And that's what we have to have is the attitude God's going to do more. Now, we do have to be sensitive to what is taking place in the world around us. You say, man, things are really hard right now. <laughs> they are. But we have to constantly believe a big God overcomes these obstacles. Greg Montgomery recently reminded me of some t statistics. Man, we're really about statistics these days, right? We're always looking at numbers, numbers, numbers because of what's taking place in the world. I don't know about you, but I was looking at some numbers of the gas prices as they go up and up and up. <laughs> we look at all kinds of numbers, but Greg Montgomery reminded me of a couple statistics. He said, Pastor, 100% of people are going to die. And 100% of the people who don't believe the gospel will suffer an eternal judgment. And I was like, that's some statistics that I know to be true. That's some statistics I ought to keep in mind and pray that God would do more in 2022 than even we've seen him do in any year in our past. I kind of feel like the last two years have been more of, about avoiding bad things instead of expecting big things, good things, new things. And what I want to have as a church is a holy ambition. Stop surviving and start thriving. God is not done. And he's not done until he comes back, and then it's done. And so let's just keep on being faithful. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, I want to get into refreshing your body and soul. I have a number of things to say, but you know what? There's no sense in rushing ourselves and feeling like we're uh, just trying to finish the sermon. I want, I want to take time to brew on these things. I encourage you to start thinking about 
how do you refresh this week? Why don't you do that? Just say, Lord, how do I refresh my body and soul on a weekly basis so that I'm more fruitful in ministry, that I'm more fruitful in my personal life, that I'm more focused? And uh, we'll talk about it next week, but I'm going to close in a word of prayer. We do have a baby dedication that we're going to do, so I'll pray, and then we're going to call some people up, and we're going to have a baby dedication uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I am very grateful for what we see in Paul's life. And Lord, these events are just loaded with meaning. And Lord, we want it to affect our hearts today. God, we want to renew our vision. We don't just want to get down into a rut. Lord, we know a rut's just a grave with the ends kicked out. Lord, we, Lord, we want to believe that the best things are in front of us. God, you're going to do greater things. Just a year or so ago, our theme was to expect more, and God, we want to expect more. God, we've definitely had some hard times, and we know that those hard times aren't over. But God, those difficult obstacles can never stop you from fulfilling your will and redemptive purpose. You have people you want to bring into your kingdom. You want to use us to do that. And so, Lord, that's what we want to focus in on. Would you help us do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I did not get to our live it out, but uh, I hope that you will intentionally renew your vision as well. Not just look forward to our next week's message, um, but I pray that this week you'll start stop and say, I'm going to take some time, take an, an, an hour, a couple hours, sit down and think, what do I want in 2022 for my life? What good things do I want to see? What sin do I want to see overcome? What, what new truth do I want to fill my heart with? Then sit down as a family and say, as a family, what do we want to accomplish in this year? And I tell you what, I think it will, God will bless that, and you'll focus in on your purpose. Remember, it has to be based around a good purpose, a God-given purpose, to be a disciple who makes disciples for God's glory and eternal joy. And um, so at this time, I'm going to go ahead and ask um, Caleb and Hannah in Portland, and we're also going to have the grandparents come up. Oh. Oh. Okay, so Caleb said he, uh, that the baby Portland is in beast mode. What does that mean? Beast mode? No, I'm sorry, feast mode. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to see a baby in beast mode. <laughs> I think that would be terrific. We're going to sing a, a few songs um, because, uh, you know, babies, when they're hungry, they need to eat. So. <clears throat> Learning so far is uh, just you know, take it in stride. So she's eaten a little bit, so I don't have any specific song planned uh, for sure. So there shall be showers of blessings, 4.30. Do you know that one, Brother Dale? He knows every song. He's really good like that. If I mess up, just roll with it. You guys know this song, so we'll sing that one. 4.30. There shall be showers of blessings, this is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing, sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, 
but for the showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessings, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. We'll stop there. Anybody have a favorite song? Anybody have a favorite song? We haven't done this in a long time anyway, so. Favorite song. I know you're like, on the spot, I don't know. I'll keep flipping through. All right, I'm going to give you one more song's length through to think of one. Victory in Jesus 353, and we'll give Brother Dale a second to turn over there. 353, and we'll sing the first and the last verse on that one. Oh, look at that. On the screen. Good job. precious blood atoning then I repented of my sin and won the victory oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me So we will stop right there and invite Pastor Beck up. <laughs> I don't know how in the world a, a brand new baby can run a whole service, but somehow that happened. <laughs> uh, we are so grateful uh, for um, Hannah and Caleb and for their desire to want to raise Portland for his honor and glory. So we're going to have the whole family come on up here.
have you uh, kind of just gather around a little bit here. And, uh, and by the way, this is, can be very difficult to do because uh, not everyone likes to be up on stage. I get scared up on stage. I look at your faces. You guys have lovely faces, and you're always encouraging with your smiles. But it still can be a little scary. And uh, so, but I'm so glad um, for this family's desire to raise Portland for his honor and glory. The question is, is what is a baby dedication? Okay. Uh, it's a dedication that really involves several people and groups. First of all, we're committing this child to God. In Psalm 127.3, the Bible says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of his womb is his reward. But we recognize that this child, Portland, belongs to God, and we're just stewards of this precious gift. That means whatever God chooses to do with our children, we're not going to argue with God. We're just going to trust Him, aren't we? Uh, that's part of what this dedication shows is this child belongs to God. That means if God calls Portland to a faraway mission field, we rejoice and we don't try to argue with God. We say, God, your will be done. But secondly, it's also commitment by the parents with the fathers leading the way to raise the child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, Father, don't provoke your children to wrath, but rather bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So this is a dedication of Hannah and Caleb as parents to raise them up in the nurture and training of the Lord. It means the parents are committing themselves to be their children's primary disciplers. The church helps the family, but it's mom and dad's job to be the primary disciplers in Portland's life. They are committing themselves, they are committing themselves to model and teach the gospel at every step in Portland's life. But thirdly, it's a commitment of our church as their faith community to pray for, encourage, and help in this discipleship process. We're going to minister to Caleb and Hannah, we're going to minister to Portland, and we're committing ourselves as a church to help them in this wonderful, wonderful task of raising a child for Christ. So we're going to dedicate ourselves to model and teach the gospel as well. It means every one of us need to show Portland what the gospel looks like every single day. You know, God commanded his people Israel to teach one another to love and follow his word, and that's what we're doing. So we need to find out if everyone's willing to do this. I won't ask Portland any questions because I don't think she's ready to answer yet. But parents, are you willing to commit Portland to the Lord to raise her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are you f further willing to eagerly pursue growth in grace in the knowledge of Christ so that you can model and teach the gospel to Portland? Let me ask the grandparents, are you willing to support Caleb and Hannah, as they raise Portland for Jesus. Amen. And now, church, are you willing to help Caleb and Hannah and Portland by living and modeling the gospel, loving Christ, and showing them what it means to follow Jesus? Are you willing to do that? Let me hear. Well, amen. Let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift of Portland. Lord, we thank you for Caleb and Hannah's desire to raise her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
And Lord, we're seeking your power as we love, support, encourage, and pray for this dear family. Lord, empower the grandparents and, and even uh, aunts and uncles to surround her with love and encouragement, to live out the gospel and show her the beauty and joy of Jesus every day. Uh, Lord, help us as a church to model and teach the gospel both to Caleb and Hannah and to Portland. And our desire is that their lives might be to the praise of the glory of your grace. Help us do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm looking forward to see what God does in their lives. So thank you so much for being here at Faith Baptist Church. Thank you so much for uh, being here, uh, family, and we're dismissed. <laughs>